As we started this first, uh, as we started this year, we started a series in the Psalms, calling it "Reconnecting with God." And I kicked off the year uh, talking about how to get blessed in 2023, how to get blessed in 2023. Um, <clears throat> but if I'm honest, it's only been 15 days um, in this new year, and already um, I feel like life has thrown a lot of curveballs to members of our congregation, and for me in particular, I feel like, wow, it's only been 15 days. And so much has happened um, at the head of this year. And um, it really, in a lot of ways, has not gone the way that I had planned. <laughs> and so a lot has happened, major curveballs. And so today, I, I kind of want to ask, you know, how, how do we pursue blessedness when we don't necessarily feel blessed, when we're in a position where so many things are happening to us, and <clears throat> maybe in particular, bad things that are happening to us in such succession that we feel not blessed, but we feel cursed. I don't know how many people here know what that feels like, but in today's Psalm, Psalm 13, David cries out to God and he says that he feels abandoned, abandoned by God. He feels helpless. And we kind of overuse that word helpless, but in our Psalm today, David is not using it wrongly. He actually feels helpless. He feels abandoned and left for dead. And I wonder how many of you at the beginning of this year um, feel like, yes, I do want to reconnect with God and I do want to come to him and meet him, but I feel so far from him. I feel cursed um, in my life. Well, if that is you, remember I said at the beginning of the year that, remember I said that Psalms gives you words to pray when you don't have words? Uh, Today is one of those Psalms. Um, He gives you words to pray when you're in that dark place in your life, whether it's now or somewhere down the road this year. It doesn't get more real, I think, than Psalm 13. And yet it's so important, so important, the Psalm, that we learn how to enter into David's process here because David starts off the Psalm by feeling cursed, right? That nothing is going well. He feels cursed. And then we see the Lord bringing him into relationship and actually transitioning him to blessedness. And so what I want to do is I want to take you into this process that David goes through because I think it'll be very important for all of us, if not now, uh, then somewhere down the road. And so if you have your Bibles with you, Psalm 13, we're going to read the six verses that are in Psalm 13 and ask you to give special attention um, to this psalm because you're going to need this sometime this year. And so I hope that this is something that sinks into your heart today. Psalm 13, I'll start at verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Reconnecting with God is not always nice and warm and fuzzy in a straight line, um, but reconnecting can be really messy. If you think about it, just the idea of reconnecting means something broke the connection, something broke the relationship. And for some of you, 
you are right here. Um, I, I feel like some, some people are kind of in their heart has their arms crossed at God because you're kind of angry at God or bitter at God about something in your life. If that's you, this psalm is for you. We're going to see how David feels cursed. We're going to see how God pulls him in to relationship and how you can get back to the place of blessedness. Okay, let's bow our heads and let's ask God for help <clears throat> so that we can take in, drink in this psalm. Father, as we come to Psalm 13, <clears throat> we just come, uh, and I, I just really pray for those brothers and sisters who might feel like this, who might feel like exactly like the words of Psalm 13, who find themselves in this psalm. I pray for them and ask for your guidance and your help, your grace and mercy. And for the rest of us, I pray that you would tuck this away in our heart so that when we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, that we will know through the psalm that you are with me, that your staff and your rod, they comfort me. So give this psalm to us. Reconnect with us and be with us now. We invite your Holy Spirit to be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. He starts off uh, feeling cursed. And I told you at the beginning of the year that the Psalms are poetry and not all of us are familiar with how to understand and interpret poetry. And so we're going to learn together how we do this, right? And one of the things about Hebrew poetry is that there's no such thing as punctuation. There's no capital letters. There's no punctuation. And so that makes some things some, uh, difficult to understand uh, when it comes to the poetry. But the one thing I want to teach you about the Psalms is the importance of repetition, is when you read the Psalms, you see a lot of repetition and you see stanzas formed in particular ways where the repetition is highlighted. And repetition is really important in the Psalms and in poetry in particular because it gives us um, the exclamation or the emphasis of something. Sometimes it's trying to give us a heart feeling of the author without punctuation. And in our Psalm, what you see is the repetition of the phrase, how long? How long? And that's supposed to put in your heart the sense of where David is in this prayer. How long? You see, David here is crying out to God, not about something that's happened this past week, but something that has been happening in his life for a really long time. Something that has been a part of him for a long time. And he's wondering why God isn't helping him with this. You see, this thing that's happening to David, we're not exactly sure what it is, but it certainly is driving a wedge in between David and his love for God. And that's a big thing to say, especially for a guy that the, the scriptures tell us was the man after God's own heart. Something is disturbing the man after God's own heart, and it's driving a wedge in between him and God because he's been waiting so long for God to resolve this thing. I wonder how many of you have a thing like that. And I wonder how many of you are sitting here angry at the Lord, and you don't know how to talk to him. You don't know how to reconnect with him because you have something like this, but you don't know how to talk to a God that you're angry with. I've heard people say things to me like, why, the, why didn't the Lord save my brother? And why didn't the Lord help me with my disability? Why doesn't he help me with my relationship? You see, for David, it's been so long, this thing, that he's starting to feel cursed. A man who's supposed to know that he's blessed all of a sudden, he's starting to feel cursed. And I want to show you the accusations that he's launching at God. Read verse 1 with me again. <clears throat> this is what he says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? You know, David is levying some very serious accusations against God, and he's accusing God of being a neglectful father in both uh, active ways and passive ways. You know, our brother Josh, when he leads us in confession, he always says um, that we ought to confess of our sins of omission and commission. That means that the things that we don't do, omission, and the sins that we have committed, commission. David is saying that, God, you have sinned against me in two different ways. You have neglected me in sins of omission. You have turned away from me. You have forgotten me, but you also hide from me. Not only are you passively ignoring me, but you are actively rejecting me. This is a serious accusation against God and his character. To say that God does things like this is a severe accusation, especially for the Hebrews, because if you think about what makes the Hebrews the Hebrews, what makes them them? The thing that makes them the special people on earth, what makes them God's people, is that God promised them that I will remember you. That of all the peoples on the earth, I will always remember you. And this is a major accusation that David launches against him because he's saying everything that you've told us, your promise, your covenant that you would be with us, I feel like you lied to me. I feel like you lied to me. All his life he grew up with his priests standing up in front of him and saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And David feels like, I feel like that whole thing was a lie. How can you forget me like this? How can you hide your face from me? The picture that you get when you see David's heart here is this picture of a father who has abandoned his wife and child. And this child grows up learning to cope with all of this, seeing his mother cope with all of this, all of the difficulties of being a single mom. And yet, when the child grows up, he runs into his father on the street and he might approach his father who abandoned this family and the father just is absolutely overtaken by shame over what he has done. And not only did he abandon him in the past, but he turns away from him now. And even though the child reaches out and says, dad, we need you, we're not doing so well. Mom is sick. He turns his face away. And he runs away from the child. You see, he's saying, why did you forget us? And then why do you abandon us now? He says, I I might understand that you abandoned us in the past. Maybe you were a young father and you were scared. But why do you reject me still? Read verse 1 and 2 with me again. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? That means, how long do I have to do this all by myself? I have no one to ask for advice. No one's helping me. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You see, David is writing in a time when there's a lot of threat to his life and there's conflict in his life and there are these external forces coming against him and he feels so alone. There's danger and conflict in his life. Read verse three and four with me. He explains it more. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He feels his life is in danger. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He's coming apart. 
in this moment. And remember, this is not just some faithless person who has weak faith in the Lord. Remember that this is the same David who stood in the valley before a giant and said, the God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and who delivered me from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And he stood before Goliath with courage, knowing that when the God of the heavens is with him, there is courage and power and rescue and deliverance. It's the same guy who felt that way, who in this psalm is saying, what if my enemies prevail over me? What if my enemies prevail over me? You see, that courage and strength that he had before Goliath is completely evacuated from his life because he doesn't feel the presence of God anymore. He feels abandoned by God and he cries out, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? He's trying to reconnect with God, but he feels abandoned. I wonder how many of you feel like that at the beginning of this year. But what I want to show you, brothers and sisters, through the psalm is that if you're in this season right now or you're going to come into that kind of season, that the Lord is pulling you in. You know, I want to, I want to show you through the, behind the scenes of this psalm, you see the Lord pulling him in to relationship, to bring him out of this place. You know, I asked myself the question this week, why is this psalm here? Why is this in the Bible? Because these are serious accusations that he's launching against the Lord. And any king or ruler would have taken these accusations out of the Bible because this is not good. He's maligning God's character. He's saying that God is a liar. And it almost seems irresponsible here that he leaves this in here. As, a, as someone who helps people to try to follow the Lord and learn about Jesus, and it just, it's confusing, Right? It feels confusing to me that he would leave things like this in here, that God could be maligned like this and confuse people that he abandons people, that he doesn't help people when they ask. I wonder why is this left in here? You know, the more I thought about it um, and I prayed about it, I realized, wow, the thing that really blew my mind this week is the fact that this is left in here. You see, the thing that's mind-blowing about this is the fact that it's in the Psalms. You know, there are a lot of bad things that are written um, and said about God in other parts of Scripture. But be- when it's written in narrative or when it's written in other parts of Scripture, they're not prescribed for you to say. But when it's put in the Psalms, he's actually giving you permission to pray these things yourself which means that he's giving you permission to launch these kind of accusations against God yourself, which is an amazing thing because it proves to us once and for all that God truly wants a real relationship with you and not religion. That he really wants relationship with you and not religion. And you may have heard that, that Christianity is relationship. It's not a religion, right? But is it really Because relationships are messed up sometimes. Relationships are messy. Does he really want a relationship with a sinner who can say these kinds of things against him? If he wants a relationship with me, does that mean that he's making allowance for me to say these kinds of things against the holy God? Things that aren't true. And my brothers and sisters, the fact that Psalm 13 is here for you to say proves to you that he does want a relationship with you and not religion. 
You see, consider the alternative. If we weren't allowed to say things like this to God, we would always have to come to him and only pray truth, only pray to him with words that are all well and put together. We could never say these kinds of things. And that's what real relationship is. You know, when I do premarital counseling, one of the things that I try to convey to people is that when you get into a marriage, you're entering into a relationship where you're exposing yourself and making yourself more vulnerable than you have ever been in the, in the entirety of your life. You're exposing yourself to pain, excruciating pain sometimes, because you think that the fights that you have before marriage are bad. You just wait. <laughs> the kind of verbal violence that we could do to one another after 15 years of knowing each other, after 20 years of knowing each other. Are you ready for that? Or do you just want companionship? You just want warmth and smiles? Or are you ready for marriage? Because that's what relationship is. And the fact that the Lord left Psalm 13 in the Bible for you and me to pray, he puts his money where his mouth is. And he says, I do want relationship with you. Even at the cost of maligning my character. Think about this. He's giving you the actual words. Remember I said Psalms give you words when you don't have the words? He's even giving you words to malign his character with. Think about the depth of that. Isn't he so gentle with you? Isn't he unsearchably merciful? That's how much he invites you into relationship with him. It's amazing to me, but it proves it. That Christianity is relationship and not religion. It's not some trite saying that religious people say. And when you look at Psalm 13, he's being for real. He's unfathomably gentle. And he invites you in the times when you're at your worst to come to him. And so, if you are here and you're in this season, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, stop faking it. Stop faking it with him. Stop not bringing the things that you need to talk to him about and not bringing it to him. Because look at this. He's actually inviting you to say these kinds of things to him. Look, I know that you want to reconnect with the Lord. But if you can't have these kind of conversations with him, you're never going to reconnect with him. If there are things that you're angry about and bitter about in your life and you're not able to bring it before the Lord and even blame him, for these things, you're never going to reconcile with him. You're never going to reconnect with him. He's inviting you into relationship. He brings David into this. He invites him into this relationship where David can say these things. And guess what? He can take it. God can take it. And he even invites it. And he even gives you the words to say these kinds of things to him. He really does want relationship with you, brothers and sisters. He really does want it because it's in this relationship as he invites you in at our worst, as he invites us in that he's able to actually bring us out of this place, transition us to a place of blessedness. He pulls us in and he doesn't leave us there. You see, there are a couple of things we have to be careful of when we're in this kind of place of deep bitterness and anger at the Lord. One is you need to avoid avoidance. Right? Avoid avoidance. You know, sometimes you're too churched, right? You're too churched to be honest with God and raw with God. 
And sometimes we avoid our feelings, right? And okay, so this is a stereotypically older generation thing to do. And I say stereotypically because stereotypes aren't always true, right? But stereotypically, this is older generation thing to do, which is just to squash your feelings. To pretend like everything's okay. You can't do that. How are you going to reconnect with God when you're angry at him? That's the first thing to avoid. Avoid avoidance. But the second thing to do, which is stereotypically a younger generation thing to do, again, doesn't mean all younger generation people do it, but stereotypically, we can't be ruled by our feelings. Right? He invites us in to be raw and honest with him, but we can't live there forever. Um, I want to kind of talk to you guys about one thing that happens to me sometimes that we have to be careful of, and it's taking on the victim mentality. Now, I want to be really clear about this. We, many of us, are really victims of wrongdoing. And also, depending on your socioeconomic class, your race, your location, your geography, some people are victims far more frequently than other people. But there's a difference between being a victim and having a victim mentality. You see, having a victim mentality means that you take on victimhood as your status and identity. And for those who are in Jesus Christ, you are more than conquerors, amen? We are not victims. Even though we are victimized, our ultimate identity is not victimhood. We do have to be careful about that. And David flirts with this in this psalm. Let's be honest. He comes really close to it. One psychologist puts the difference this way. She says this. She says, a victim mentality, on the other hand, means you identify with your status of a victim and become reliant on pity. The trauma didn't just happen to you. It becomes who you are. I flirted with this in my life, and um, we have to be careful because there's something strangely satisfying about identifying as a victim. There's, it's like a weird, I, I'm not sure, I think it's this. I think it's that when we identify as victim, I think that we bestow upon ourselves goodness and that the other person is bad. And I think that it, it is a shortcut to getting goodness. And so it, it is tempting to be victim. But my brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, standing on the authority of scripture and the gospel, that you are not cursed. You are not cursed, that in Jesus Christ, that you are blessed. And what I see God doing here is allowing David to say these things to him, inviting him into the relationship, and then transitioning him out of this bitterness into a place of remembrance. Read verse 5 with me. This is what I see. He's going to leave David blessed. And verse 5 says this, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. You see, David, even though he's bringing all of his bitterness and all of his anger to God, he refuses to stay there. He's in defiance of his emotions. He defies his emotions. And he refuses to forget the goodness of God. At the same time, he doesn't say, Lord, I didn't mean those things when I said it. Yes, he did mean those things. In those moments, you know what this is like. You've said some things that you regret saying, but kind of you don't regret saying, because in that moment, you did mean it. And for David, he did mean this. He did feel truly abandoned. He did feel truly thrown away. He doesn't say, I didn't mean those things. I'm so sorry. He did mean them. 
And God invites that honesty from you, but at the same time, he won't let him live there. He moves David's heart to truth, to the goodness of God. It's almost as if he allows David to pound on the windows of heaven with fists bloodied from the pounding. But then God, through those windows, reaches out his arms and he pulls David in. And he reminds him of the goodness of God. And you see his truth ministering to David's pain. And you see God's love ministering to David's tears. And reality is setting in. And he's allowing David to remember the goodness of God. And David says, but no, I feel like you abandoned me. I feel like you left me. I feel like you're leaving me to my own, but no. Read verse five and six with me. He says, but no, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. His rescue didn't happen yet. His enemies have not been vanquished yet, but he says, my heart shall rejoice. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David begins to remember God's faithfulness as he's pulled into this relationship, as he's allowed to say these things to God, he starts to remember the goodness of God. He started off the psalm by saying, how long, O Lord, my suffering is so long, but he starts to remember that God's faithfulness is longer still. That God's faithfulness is longer still. And he says, I know I feel cursed, but I know I am blessed. I don't know what he's thinking about when he says, he has dealt bountifully with me. Maybe he's thinking about Goliath. Maybe he's thinking about when he had absolutely no chance of defeating this giant, but God was with him bountifully, mercifully, graciously. Maybe he's thinking about his battles with Saul and all of those different moments when he could have been squashed, both internally and externally but God was with him. I don't know what he's thinking about, but he says, God has dealt bountifully with me. He remembers the past faithfulness of God and he has to conclude that God has been gracious to him. My brothers and sisters, God invites you, right, into relationship to say these things to him. It's okay, he can take it. He can take it, be honest with him. But at the same time, he's calling us to move our minds to the goodness of God, and it's so important that we do this, right? It's so important that we do this. And sometimes you need other people to help you do it. That's why we have community groups. That's why we're here together. Because sometimes when you're all alone and you're in the cycle of bitterness in your head, you can't get out of your own, as Danny said, your echo chamber, right? Of saying these things to yourself. And so my brothers and sisters, we need to find our but no, right? But no, in these moments when we feel abandoned, and you have your but no. You have it because we have something that is clearer than David's victories over Saul. We have something far more powerful than his victory over Goliath. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross at Calvary where Jesus was accursed for us. And I know if you're a Christian, you've heard that before, that Jesus took on your curse so that you're not cursed. But I want you to think about that a little bit. How could Jesus be cursed? Is God cursable? Isn't that such a, a huge thing to take in? That Jesus was accursed. But that's what scripture tells us. is exactly what's happening when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he screams out to the Lord, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for Jesus, it wasn't a feeling. He was actually 
taking on the wrath of God, actually taking on all of it. And Jesus screams out, why have you forsaken me? And the people around them say, listen, he's calling out for Elijah. He's calling out for Elijah to save him. And some of the people around them start to take pity on Jesus. And they took some sour, rotten wine and they soaked the sponge in it. And they put the sponge on a stick and they offered it to Jesus on top of the cross. Why? Because maybe that sour wine, that rotten alcohol, would maybe blunt the pain, maybe ease his suffering, maybe make him die faster. It was an act of mercy. Because Jesus said, I thirst. But you know what happened when Jesus was offered that? He refused it. He refused it. He turned his face away. Why? Because he had to take on the full curse of the law. He had to take on all of it. You see, when David cried out, how much longer, O Lord, do I have to suffer? When Jesus was offered the wine, he said to the Father, Father, I have to suffer longer. I have to suffer more. I have to suffer the full brunt of this. Why? So that there is not even an ounce of curse left for my children. So that no one in my church ever feels like they are cursed. Because I will take on the full curse He turned away from the wine. He refused it. So that my brothers and sisters, so that when you feel cursed, so that when you feel like the father has turned his face away, I want to tell you, you might feel that way, but you're wrong. You're wrong. Because there's no more curse left for you. Because Jesus on the cross took on the full brunt of it so that there will be not a drop of curse left for you. There is not a curse of a abandonment left for you, not a drop of it for his children. He turned his face away from the wine so that he could drink in all of the wrath of God. And then the people said, stop it. He's not going to drink it. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. They said, "Let's let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And they waited and they waited and no one came. And Jesus gave his, his last breath fully abandoned, forsaken, and cursed. And Paul would stamp the Bible forever in Galatians 3. The reason why he did that, Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to you. Listen, if you feel like you're cursed, you're wrong. And yet your gracious father invites you to bring all of that raw emotion to him. Why? Because he wants to reconnect with you. And he allows it. He invites it. But if you feel like you're cursed, my brothers and sisters, you couldn't be more wrong. You only live in the blessedness of your savior. You only live in the grace of God so that we could sing songs like, I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. In all my days, I've been held in your hands. I want to invite up the worship team as we close. But I really want to bring you to see verse six again. He says, I will sing to the Lord 
because he has dealt bountifully with me. Look, if you're in a place where you feel like God is not near to you, you need to see Psalm 13. And you need to enter in with honesty before the Lord and see the blessedness that you are in and know that it's an impossibility that he abandons you. It's an impossibility that he abandons you and that you are bountifully blessed. If you're so angry at God and you're so bitter at God, you can't even remember anything good he's done for you. You always have the cross. You always have the cross where he refused the wine so that he made sure there was no curse left for you. He's been so good to us. And so that we can even sing of the goodness of God. So my brothers and sisters, at the beginning of this year, we've been throwing some curveballs and we've been throwing some difficult things um, at the beginning of this year and you feel like you're not blessed. And today I want to ask you to come honestly before the Lord, bring all those things, especially the things where you are crying out, how long, oh Lord, do I have to live in this? How long do I have to put up with this? How long will you not hear me? Brothers and sisters, he loves you. And he's been so, so good to you if you would just move your mind to remember the goodness of God. So let's come to him honestly. He invites it. Um, He really wants relationship. He's not kidding. He even gives you the words to malign him as long as you come. As long as you come. So let's bow our heads. And let's go to the Lord. And let's take his invitation. And if there are things so raw and so bitter that you haven't been able to say to him all these years, now is the time. Now is the time. You're never going to reconnect with him unless you're able to talk about these things with the Father. Let's go to him. He is so gentle and lowly and meek, and he invites you. And go, t- go tell him about it. Let's spend a moment with the Father. An honest prayer, maybe for the first time in a long time. Let's go to him. Let's bring these things before the Savior.